Awesome. Do, do, do. We have some memes to share um, that are on it, but amazing. Yeah. So it's March 4th. If, if y'all didn't know, um, kind of weird how fast the year has gone by. I feel like. I, don't I know. It's, it's gone by really, really quick. Yeah. It's like scary. I'm like, well, we're already at March. That's like, I mean, <laughs> then on one hand, the weather is getting better, but it's just like, wow. So we hope everyone's had a good start to the year ish. We're definitely not the start anymore, but we'll, we'll just hop right in and start to share what our goals are for the fireside chat. So if we um, see our three goals, we want to really help everyone three things today, which we want to figure out what our readers want, which this is, this is, we're going to spend a lot of time here because I think it's important to break down some of the mindset of how we can think through this. And I would use this part, the, the first half of this session as kind of like your filter. This will be the filter that we use when we think about the second half of this session, which is what tier reward ideas can we do? What tier reward ideas should we do? So hopefully the first part gives you a lot of insight on what might be good ideas for you, what might be a good approach for you. So that when we get to the second part, we're going to list a lot of ideas and they're not even close to comprehensive. I'm sure people will also put other ideas in the chat. We encourage that. But as you'll find, having 30 different things you're trying to do for your subscription would be overwhelming. So we're hoping that we can share a lot of information and y'all can find the few things that'll be really fun for you that can really help your readers. And then in the end, we'll be sharing a resource um, that will help you figure out how to deliver specific awards and how to price them. So hopefully by the end of this, everyone can have you know one step forward on their tier rewards. And of course, we'll have plenty of time for questions at the end. We're hoping at least 40 minutes. So that's the breakdown of our fireside chat. And we'll get right into the first part, which is figuring out what our readers want. Yeah. This this is a meme. Um, we have lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to start here? Yeah, you could start. All right, cool. So before you set, like even think about setting your tiers, you want to know what your readers are going to want for those tiers. What are they going to want to, to join your subscription? Um, and so you have to think and reflect on a few questions um, to get to that point. So what stories do you write? Um, what's your genre? What are, uh, what's your subgenre? Maybe you're like steamy romance or clean romance. Maybe you write certain kind of kinks or certain kind of stories that your readers really, really love. So you wanna think about what, what those stories are and why your readers love them. Um, second, kind of kind of goes hand in hand with the first question. Who do you create your stories for? Do you create them for yourself? Do you create them for people who are just like you? Maybe you create them for um, people who have uh, done a specific thing in their life or can relate to a specific facet of your story or specific um, like kinks. I, I keep going back to kinks because I'm studio romance. So you might hear a lot of that throughout this session. Um, third question, why do they read your stories? So there's a lot of um, people who write sci-fi. There's a lot of people who write romance and fantasy. Why are your readers reading your content? And that could be, again, because you write a specific sub subgenre um, in that wider genre 
because you write a certain type of style or certain uh, types of characters, you really want to hone in on who and why they're reading your stories. Fourth yeah. question, um, where do you, uh, where do the people who enjoy your stories hang out? So I know for me, a lot of people who read my stories hang out on free platforms like Wattpad and Inkit. Um, and they also join a lot of like steamy romance Facebook groups. There's like five to 10 of them that I know off the top of my head. Um, but you have to really find out where these readers are hanging out and how you can connect with them within that area. Yeah. Anything you want to add on this slide? No, I, I love that. I would just say that uh, knowing what things your readers are interested in can really help you even when you're creating content for maybe if you have things like a newsletter, uh, if you are on something like Facebook or Instagram, being able to create you know a post that's relatable to your readers and relate parts of whether it's, I don't necessarily think every author needs to share their personal life. You definitely mm -hmm. don't have to do that. But if you're just sharing things that might relate to ultimately the lives of your readers, you want to relate to their lives for sure. So knowing what they're interested in, knowing that, you know, your readers might really love a specific author, a specific TV show, or have a specific hobby does help. Um, so that, that can all be good things, but we'll move on to the second part, which I think is often overlooked and really important. I think maybe the most important thing about your subscription, because those first parts, right? Those are things that we probably have all been trained to think about as authors, just as we're writing our books and picking what story is great. But with subscriptions, part of, part of it is that you may be thinking, especially with tier awards, about doing more than just writing stories. You might be thinking about offering bonus content. You might think about offering physical merchandise. And we'll, we'll talk about all of that. But when you get into all these different things, you know, as writers, I'm going to guess that all of us like writing. I love writing, not in every day and definitely not every moment, but overall, that's what made me want to be a writer is loving creating stories. And, you know, parts of the process are fun. Parts of it aren't. I personally don't like editing that much yet. Uh, you know, that's quite an important part of the whole thing. So regardless of what parts of writing you love or not, we're talking about something else here with subscriptions, which is how do you want to design your business as an author? How do you want to design your lifestyle? What do you want that lifestyle to look like? And oftentimes it's really easy for us as authors. And I see us do this a lot. We, we try and chase like revenue numbers um, or we try and chase a ranking or just think if I make a lot of money as an author, whatever I'm willing to do to make that money will be great. And that's something that, you know, very valid. It's very important to make money as an author. We're hoping by the end of the day, we can help you take one step closer to making some more money from your author career. But at the same time, it's about a bit more than that too. And with subscriptions, because there's so many different ways that you can have a subscription and so many different things that you can offer, it's less about thinking, what is the person next to me doing? What is that thing that I feel like I have to do to, you know, you know, make more money tomorrow? But it, what is also the thing that you want to be doing? Which then brings us to the second question, which is what makes you happiest about being a writer? Like what parts of the process do you enjoy? What parts of it don't you? Does, you know, creating like merchandise sound fun to you? If it doesn't, you might not want to do that right now. Meanwhile, if you love designing and graphic design or love creating art, you might be able to create an amazing bonus art tier and readers might really enjoy that. So 
part of this is, and we'll, we'll literally show you in the end, a Venn diagram we have, finding the intersection between what you enjoy, what you're able to do, and what your readers want, which brings us to our last question, which is what you're able to do. What makes something sustainable for you? Yeah. This is a really hard question because a lot of times we don't know. <laughs> like, how do you know if this is going to be sustainable or not until you try it? We'll, we'll talk a bit more about that, but I'm curious for you, Amelia, with your subscription, if there's ever something that you've been doing, a reward or a benefit that you promised your readers that you were like, wait, I don't think this is, this is very sustainable for me. Um, a, a few. I know like when I did my first subscription ever, I was running um, kind of like at a negative, I guess, when I was doing um, physical prints and I was like, this is not sustainable for me um, to keep doing that in a monetary, like for monetary reasons, um, for like mental health reasons. Um, there's like a few things. I At one point I was writing 10 chapters a week of one of my stories. And I, after I finished that story, I immediately pulled back because I was like, there's no way I can do this. I can't just focus on one story a week and I can't write that, that much content because it wasn't sustainable for like me. I was also like at school. So I was doing school full time and working like a, a part-time job and then writing all these chapters. And I was like, I just can't do that anymore because it's, it's way too much. Like even some of my readers couldn't keep up with that much content that I was producing. And I was like, I'm just gonna take a step back and I'm actually planning to do that again. Uh, once I finish one of my books pretty soon, I'm going to stop updating um, on Mondays when once that book is finished um, because I do need that extra, extra time because it's not sustainable with me and all the other facets of my business that I need to kind of keep track of. Yeah, that uh, there's a few really important things there. I mean, one thing is that because our lives change, what is sustainable for us and what even makes us happy will change undoubtedly. So when you go into your subscription, definitely don't go with the mindset of like, this is my forever plan. These are my tier awards forever. These are my tier benefits forever. That's also why we want to share with you so many of the possibilities, not because you should attack all of them today and not because most of them will be right for you today, but because the more you know, opportunities that you see out there, when that moment comes that something isn't sustainable for you anymore and you do need to make a change, you'll be able to tell, oh, well, there's all these different areas that I can pivot to. Or maybe I can just take a step back and, you know, do less, which we'll talk about that. Um, so I know though, with all these questions we just asked and these two live workbook questions, and I don't know if any of you um, started to like answer those yourself, but like I said, we'll send out a video of this so everyone will be able to go back and, and if you want to like screenshot these questions, feel free to do that. But I want to just share our, our next slide because I think it embodies a lot of my emotions on this, which is when, when we get to this point, we start reflecting on this and we can really get in our heads and start bouncing back and forth. And it feels like everything's just going wrong. We're like, something's not working. This doesn't feel right. And yeah, we can start to, we start to get to that moment where we, we start to be like the, this guy with the house burning. It's like something doesn't feel right, which is where I think we go to experimental design as authors, which I, I know this seems weird that we'd think about our subscription or even writing 
like a science experiment, but I'm a science fiction author. Uh, so I'll just say, I'll bring my experience there um, in terms of, I very much enjoy science. And when I think about how we approach things as authors, a lot of times we're just never going to have definitive answers to the questions that we just put up, which is kind of tough because these are the questions that are you know, essential and really being able to run a great business as an author. We have to know who we're writing for, what we're writing, what's sustainable, what we enjoy, but those answers are never static. They're always moving. They're always changing. And they're things too that are really hard, especially as we're getting started to just know, like to just pull that out of thin air be like, yep, that's my business plan for my career right there. And it's really easy to get caught up in this cycle of planning and planning and planning and planning. And you know, me and Amelia, since we've talked to many, many of you and many subscription authors, I've started to realize that. And it, it sounds ironic because we share a lot of advice about how to plan um, and about how to think about things. But sometimes you just have to do it. And that can be really scary. But I want to walk you through this framework about how you can experiment really with anything you're doing um, and certainly anything in publishing. But obviously, we'll think about subscriptions because that's what we're here for, which before you decide to do something instead of going in with an answer you should approach it with a question because no one knows if someone could tell you like this is the business model that's going to work if you write this way it's going to work if there was a formula for this then that would be really nice but there, there, there's not and you know there's people make promises but we don't want to make those kinds of promises because in reality this industry is full of a lot of experimentation, a lot of chance, a lot of creativity. That's the beauty of it. But we do have to ask ourselves some questions. So let's just pretend we're thinking a broader question here. What value will X in my subscription, X benefit provide to the life of my readers? That's one example of a question you can ask. But at the end of the day, ultimately, right, you're looking to learn something about your story business. So if, or something about yourself too, because we're always rediscovering and learning more about ourselves. So once you take this question, and I'll run with this hypothetical, we'll say, what value will, oh, I, let's go with a random thing here, maybe a bonus chapter or a bonus scene each month in my book, provide my readers. And this is why we're here live with y'all. We'd love to like run through scenarios with y'all. So if you have like specific questions, let us know because we want to like bridge the presentation with your actual lives and problems. So please do put, put questions, put things that you're thinking about in the chat, but let's run with this here. So obviously you're doing something because you think it's going to work or you hope it is. You have a hope. <laughs> so we'll call that hope that hype, the hypothesis, right? So you're going to make this change. You're going to add this to your subscription. You're going to launch with this tier. And we're hoping that readers will enjoy it, hopefully buy it, and because it'll provide them Y value. So maybe, you know, bonus chapters are something that readers are excited about because it brings them, you know, answers some of those more subplot questions that are not fully unraveled in the reader's mind and allows them to go deeper into their world. Um, now, I say bonus chapters. Now, here we get to the experimental design part, right? Which is how long will it take you to execute this experiment? A lot of times, I know this myself, you get excited about an idea, you have hope for the idea. It's like, so like, we're like doing good now. We're like, okay, we're, I feel excited about this. I have hope for it. But then there's the whole problem of like, 
always underestimating if we even do choose to estimate how much time it really takes us. Always do that. I know I do that a lot myself. Like you get excited about something, you're like, I want to do this. And then it's like, oh, wow, this is like really challenging. We should probably like maybe rethink this one. So I encourage you before you leap, there is one thing that's important to think about, which is how long will this take me to execute this? And if that like amount of time ends up being very unreasonable, scientists don't perform experiments they don't have grant funding for. Like they, they, don't, they don't have the resources for it. So don't perform an experiment you don't have the resources for. An example is I was talking with an author who was looking to get a, a huge like palette of basically books printed um, so that she could do it at cost and then start selling basically out of her backlist books from her subscription doing that, which is a fine strategy, but that was going to be a lot of out of pocket. And not everyone can just sink that much money into inventory, whether it's $100, $500 or $1,000, that can be a prohibitive cost to some people. For other people, it's not, and they're willing to take that funding and execute that. That's up to you, your business, your life. Another question is, what will determine success of this experiment? And how will you measure it? It's and I don't necessarily mean you have to like take a number or a dollar amount with this, but you do need to be able to tell like, hmm, okay, I tried this whole bonus chapter thing. Let's pretend. It is a lot of work, but I kind of knew that like if it worked out, if it got me X number of readers or I had these few comments and it got read through higher in my series, whatever that benefit is that you're looking for, then you would know it's worth it. That's at least your goal. And then you would be able to continue doing it. But you have to kind of set that goal so that you're not getting into this sunk cost fallacy. I've seen a lot of authors do this where they do something for six or seven months that's really not working that well, but it's really tough to admit that to yourself. So you do it for another six or seven months when in reality, it's more efficient to eventually realize, mm, this isn't really working as well as I want. What if I re go back to the drawing board? Let's run another experiment now. Let's take these resources I used into this experiment and I'll take this time and run another experiment. That's just ways to think about this and ties into again how will you know when to stop the experiment because every experiment ends and it either now becomes something that's part of your regular business this is a tier benefit that's working right now or it's something that you're going to be like you know what that one didn't work and i have a question for you amelia which is i know you've like played around with your tiers a lot over the last years that you've had your subscription and what is a time where you've been like that tier benefit didn't really work that well. Um, I was doing audio, audio books for people who read ebooks and who just read stories. And I was like, oh, this is such, this is going to be such like an, a, an amazing new benefit that I can add. I'm going to add it to like my second highest tier and everyone's going to join it because I spent so much money and so much time on creating these audiobooks and then nobody joined and I was like oh <laughs> okay <laughs> but um yeah so that is definitely something that I've experimented with sometimes people still ask me about audiobooks and it's not like an explicit tier benefit that they have anymore um, but if people ask me about audiobooks on my subscription, I'll give them a link to download it still. Um, but it's not something explicit like, hey, you're going to definitely get audiobooks and I'm going to create a new one every month because it's not worth it for me, at least in my subscription business. Hmm. That's 
that's a tough one. Like I had yeah. fun <laughs> to figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you take uh, bigger swings and the swings don't, you know, connect the way you'd like, which yeah. I'm glad that you realized that. And I'm also glad that you shared that because I think it's also important for people to know. Um, I'm someone who like, I don't, I'm not like Amelia. I, I'm know a lot about descriptions, but I've not run a successful descriptions for the last three years. Um, so it's helpful to know just for myself, honestly. And I think for other people too, that like, oh, like you can have a very successful description, but still run experiments and it doesn't go the way you planned. Like that happens. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also things that you think you want to do in the beginning. Like you think it's going to be such like a great idea. Like for me, that was writing bonus scenes. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so awesome to revisit these characters. But then after I started writing a few, I was just like, I don't really like this. Like my story is finished when I write, like type the end. And then I really don't want to go back to these characters anymore. And it's kind of like, I, I dread doing it. So that's like something you also have to, to realize, like you could be really excited about doing something. And then once you start doing it, you just don't like it. Um, so yeah, something else to experiment with. Which is okay. Like that's a complete- yeah okay thing I I think part of like everything I think goes back to like how you want to design and live your life and I, mm-hmm. and I hate, hate to just go back to that again but but I think we all probably do this in other areas of our life too um we can tend to do that but I there's a question in the chat that I, I want to answer or I want you to answer Amelia which is did you try giving patrons and lower tiers some audio chapters just to gauge their interest before you made the audio tier did, did you do that Honestly, no, I don't think I did that. Um, I did. So when I, I was running two, I did two experiments with audio. One was the audiobooks. I did not do the, the lower chapter tiers. Um, the second I'm in the middle of doing, but I'm going to be setting up a separate audio subscription for it. But I basically found these voice actors and I had them record a piece of my writing. And then I put a poll on my regular subscription. And I said, hey, out of all these voices, which one do you like the best? And still a lot of people did not vote because they just, or they voted and they're like, I hate all of them. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that would be a good idea to try if you're going to do audiobooks, trying to like leak it um, at lower tiers and say like, here's the first chapter of audio. You can listen to the rest um, in my upper tiers. But I added that like right when I started. So I really didn't have like um, any knowledge about what worked and what didn't work. So that's a really good idea. Yeah, I, I think it's a great, no, I love polls too. Actually, I think it ties us in perfectly uh, to our next slide here that I want to share with y'all, which is an open source survey. We were like thinking on the same wavelength. We're, we're right here. So we, we've realized um, that sometimes it can be nice to just understand a little bit before you dive into experiment. You don't always want to go in blind, right? You want to maybe know a little bit about like, okay, for instance, I'm probably as much as I want, not going to be able to like jump off the top of the playset and fly. I might break my arm when I do that. It's a bad idea. So it's sometimes nice to know like, yeah, it's probably not gonna work out. So 
surveys are a way to do that. And this is where we've created, and I'll link it in the chat. Um, we're calling it like an open source survey. I have a few things here with this one. So one is we'd love for you to share this survey with your readers, because if you do share this actual link with your readers, it gives us more aggregate data that we can share with the whole community. This thing is going to, I think, take us a couple months to gather enough data, but we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with your readers. It's a, basically a survey that's trying to figure out, one, who is your reader? What do they typically read? And then what would they be interested in doing to support their favorite authors? And that's a very thinly veiled way of saying, what might they be interested in getting a benefit as part of a subscription? So I'm very grateful for the people who've already sent it out and who've already started answering it. it means a lot. And I'd love for you to continue saying this out. It also um, helps me actually get through one of my own college classes. So you're doing me like a big favor with this, but but not trying to press you into it because there's another option, which is equally awesome, which is I know that it can be challenging to have to figure out how to come up with your own survey and that's stressful in and of itself. So feel free to just use this as inspiration, like copy those questions, whatever you need to do for your readers. Like you might not want to ask readers what genre they read because they might already read your genre, but you might want to ask them what other genres they read. Uh, you might want not want to ask your readers specific questions in there, but you, you might want to add additional ones. Up to you, up to you. It's your survey. That's why they're calling this open source. Um, in terms of how people conduct their polls, um, I, is there a particular app? So polls and surveys are definitely different. Um, in terms of like surveys, like I'm going to be honest, like I use Google Forms for a reason. It's free. It's simple enough. It gets the job done. So that's why I use um, Google. It's free, cheap, gets the job done. Um, now, SurveyMonkey, I, so I was mentioned in the chat, Typeform has like gained an unbelievable amount of popularity. Uh, so Typeform's used commonly, but those companies are based off of a freemium model. So at some point you might have to pay for them. So I just want to like give a full disclosure there. Um, in terms of like the difference between that's like survey software. In terms of like polling, um, a lot of different community-based apps. MailerLite, yeah, you're right. MailerLite has a survey that you can embed inside of your emails if you're using MailerLite as a software. Um, other email providers, I believe, have very similar features. And that's free that you can use. So you can design your own sort of surveys inside of um, MailerLite. And that can get a really high response rate, by the way, because it's like embedded in the email. In terms of like a more engaging community-based poll, you'd have to basically use a community-based app to do that. Um, and most community-based apps do have the ability to have polls. I mean, the easy one that I know most of us use as authors, just because I know most of you are in our Facebook group, is Facebook. So you can have a poll in Facebook. But there's not really a lot of apps that do um, community-based surveys too well. Instagram Stories does actually a decent job. You can like put multiple polls in a story and then people can see the response of other people after they finish like immediately there and then go on to the next question. Um, so those are some like just popular social platforms people are already using that have that kind of functionality. Um, I'd be open to any other ideas in the chat, but that, that would be what I'd say. Um, so yeah, that's just a survey that hopefully, hopefully can help as we think about, awards. But before we actually get into, I know we're like hyping this up, we have all these rewards and ideas to share with you. Um, but we have one more thing to talk about before we get there. 
which is some big advice. Which Amelia, I'm I'm curious how this advice resonates with you. What would you say about this advice? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of things here. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit before, um, but tier rewards can change, and they probably will as you move through your subscription and you have more people come in, people leave, you see what's working and what's not working. Um, these don't have to be set in stone forever. And so you, it, if something's not going well, you can go to your, to your readers and to your supporters and say, hey, like this isn't going well for me for X, Y, X, Y, Z reasons. So like, um, maybe it's not something that you can sustain and it's really messing with like your mental health to keep to keep writing like tons of words a week and you just don't wanna do it anymore. Um, you can go to your readers and say, hey, this is why I can't keep up the same pace writing this many words a week. Um, most of your readers will understand. There's gonna be some obviously who, might back away from your subscription, but I don't think that is a reason to not prioritize yourself and your business first. Um, so yeah, tier rewards can change and they probably will throughout the lifetime of your subscription. Um, this is kind of ties into to the, to the first piece of advice, but less is more. Um, so this kind of goes from like from everything. So you don't want I guess we'll, we'll talk about tiers first. You don't wanna to have too many tiers when you first start your subscription because it's going to get out of hand for you and for your readers. So if you have 10 tiers that you start with, when you that you like launch with, your readers are gonna come into your subscription and be like, oh my gosh, there's so many things here. I don't know what to choose. I'm not going to choose anything and just leave. I know I've done that for people who have Kickstarters I like go into their Kickstarter because I think it's super cool. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, there's way too much here. And I don't understand what it is. So I'm not going to support it. And so that's how your readers, some of your readers are going to think as well. So less, the less number of tiers is really, really important to start with, um, especially because it's going to be more manageable for you too. But also um, what you have in each tier is going to be, you, you don't want to overwhelm people. And I know for me, at least I have a bunch of books in my subscription and I hate listing out all the books in one tier because it just looks way too crazy. Like under my, under, underneath the tier, like description, because it looks too crazy. And I know if I went there in there as a reader and I saw like tons and tons of books, I'd feel like, oh my gosh, like I love that I'm getting this much content, but this is kind of like crazy and I'm very overwhelmed. So less is more there. Um, also beware of physical goods in the beginning. Um, I think we're gonna, I think we have another slide for that. We're gonna talk we... about physical good benefits okay. explicitly, but before we get there, it's something that we're, we're doing a main focus on digital, um, content yes. ideas in this uh, presentation, because for, for most authors, uh, they're making most of their money from digital content, at least most, that's definitely not all. There's definitely some subscription authors who do very well um, off of physical goods and who may even make 
you know, more money off that than digital goods. There's definitely a number of them. But one thing to note about them is they're usually at more advanced authors in the sense that they already have a more established base. It's easier to scale digital content than it is to scale physical content. And the load that working on physical goods can put on you in terms of time, in terms of the stress, the bandwidth of having to plan that out might actually take away what, what some of the most valuable things are to grow your writing business, which are to write more and to get more digital content out in the world. Um, you, the digital contents, but can scale easily what people can find and discover. And it's the, the physical content that can really bring your super fans closer to you. And it can really help you make additional money. But I know Amelia, like what are some of the things now that you've opened up? To, well, actually, Share, share with us when you actually started doing physical goods in your subscription journey. Like I know, I know some authors who are just starting their subscription who are looking to right now do physical goods. And I'm not saying, we're not ever saying anything's a bad idea. You can do anything. You want. It, it can work. It can work. Like we said, but there's some real worries. And, and I think things that we want to bring to your attention, which is like we say, it could take a lot of time and it might not be fully worth it at your scale until you get bigger. But Amelia, for you, when did you incorporate physical goods in? And what's gone right with it? And what are some of the downsides even now that you face? Yeah, so I didn't start it until like two years in. So I started it last like August, I think. Um, and I did book boxes and some stickers. And so I didn't start it until super late because of a few reasons that I'm kind of dealing with now. And one of them being like, I didn't think I had enough people who wanted physical goods. And so I didn't want to start buying extra stock and buying all these like little pieces of merchandise and designing merch, because that's not something I wanted to do one and I didn't think it would be worth it. Um, so I had to, I took like many surveys and many polls before I even started. And I was like, what do you want? Like, what do you guys want? What will you guys subscribe in these tiers for and I made it like super specific and yeah so once I had like all the data I started doing physical goods like little by little um and have it had it kind of like build up but I found like a few obstacles along the way and one of them being I do have to order like I either ordered too much stock or too little stock for my book boxes. And so if I order too, too much stock, I have a bunch left over that I have no, I have no use for. Like, I'm not going to use them at all. And they're just sitting in my house. And I'm just like, I just wasted that money. Um, two, I have like um, chronic pain. So this is kind of like personal. So doing the book boxes and creating them every single month I didn't realize that it would like, like not hinder me, but it like hurts. Like after a while, like standing over these book boxes and creating the boxes and putting the books in there and finding and just like creating them all. It's just like, it's something I like doing because my readers like it. But at the same time, I'm just like, I need to like hire somebody to do it for me because I don't want to do it because of like, yeah, those reasons. So. Yeah. Which then that, and that's, I mean, first of all, like, thank you for being like, so, so vulnerable about like the situation with how physical goods are going in your business. Like both like that. It's, it's nice that readers like it, but that it's, it takes a serious stress on you. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, 
I think a lot of people can, uh, yeah, it's, it is such a big commentary. Like, and it's something too, that is very challenging for writers. I've talked to multiple authors who struggle to sign books. Like, they, it, like that's just not something that is, is healthy for them um, from a mobility standpoint. And I understand that. And that's something that then it's probably not a good idea for for an author who's in that position to feel pressured to have to figure out how they can sign books and potentially, you know, hurt their wrist or um, damage a, a, an already existing injury. Um, that would be a lot to go through to just have book boxes. But I know that people feel this pressure. Some people feel like they have to do it. And I, I guess we're here to tell you, you don't have to. <laughs> you definitely don't have to. And you can have a very successful descriptions with zero physical goods. That isn't writing off the idea. We will share ideas about it. But I think it's very important to share the downsides because it sounds really nice too. Like, wow, a reader's paying me $50 a month. That's like awesome. And it is great. Like, that's awesome that you got something to pay $50 a month. But with all the extra baggage that can go into it, even if you're making after print costs and shipping costs, all this stuff, something like $35, which is really good. And I, I've talked to authors who can have those kinds of margins. That sounds really good. But then you have to think about the time that you're spending on it and that mental bandwidth that goes into it. And I'm again, not saying it isn't worth it, but if it's not something that you don't think you will love, then maybe you don't have to try the experiment in the beginning. It's something too that I, my futurist self, is hopeful that there's solutions to this. But in the current day and age, it seems to only be getting more challenging with supply chain issues, um, with mm -hmm. inflation and costs of print goods going up. And it's it's sad, it's challenging because readers do really like this and there really is a market for this. I, we don't want to underscore that. Like you do see people on Kickstarter doing really well, specifically like with rare signed editions of books. But I've also talked to plenty of authors who, have had price changes after the delivery of their campaign and before the delivery of their actual product and have really eaten to their margins. And again, I'm not saying that you can't do really well. I, there's plenty of authors doing really well with this, but I would advise caution. And I am also very hopeful that in the future, there will be different ways to deliver physical goods to readers, whether it's 3D printing, whether it's like VR metaverse stuff. I know that sounds like really far out there, but readers want this stuff. They want to be more immersed into fictional worlds. And I totally understand wanting these rare, rare signed editions, merchandise, all these sorts of things. But, you know, one thing to think about, and although this can hinder quality sometimes is print on demand is oftentimes the less it's the less stressful way to go or sorry the yes the less stressful that's what i wanted to go for um so that's something to think about like if your readers really want merchandise what merchandise can be shipped to them you never have to house that you don't have any inventory for the cost per merch will be a little bit higher just like it is for print on demand books but there's a reason that 99.99% of indie authors don't have warehouses of books i've talked to some who do I have friends who have warehouses of books. They also are pretty established <laughs> and it is stressful as well. So, and you have to even worry about things at that point of like, oh, if you're, God forbid, if your house is broken into, right, you now have inventory in that house, your business. I mean, I'm, we're going really into the weeds here. I guess that's why it's a live chat where we're trying to give you a lot of this information, but there's a lot to worry about with that. Um, so I, I just would caution and say that some people do it really well, but it's challenging, which looking at this, right? The biggest thing when thinking about subscriptions, when looking at other successful people, is that the model of comp authors looks very different 
than how it looks if you're on an ebook retailer. On an ebook retailer, it's a safe bet that by studying the business of another author who's successful in your genre, that you will get some really useful insights. And you can still get some really useful insights by studying successful authors in your genre in subscriptions. But you have to also consider some other questions, which are how are they making their money? How are they running their business? And what stage of their business are they at? Like, meaning, how long have they been doing this? What kind of experience do they have? Because someone who's had a subscription for a few years has a bit more of a stable base and footing might be able to take more of the risk that Amelia has been able to take. And it still has its challenges. Whereas someone who's just getting into it, it might not be the best idea to have the same strategy that someone has eventually implemented after years of doing it. So that's just, again, our big cautions and big advice, not to scare anyone, but just to like share with people the reality because it would be it would be way easier for us to like look at successful Kickstarter campaigns, look at all these big numbers and just be like, isn't that cool? You can make it too. But we want to actually be honest with you about both the pros and the cons of it. So with that said, um, I think we're actually ready for the tier awards now. <laughs> we're actually ready to talk about some of these ideas, which this is standard. No, you talk about early access. Okay. Is that, okay. Uh, we've, we've talked about it a lot, um, but just kind of like what we're, what we have in your, what you have in your tiers are going to be based off of probably um, your model. And so we'll just go like, quickly over what the models are again. And so um, one of the models is early access and early access is basically where you provide um, your stories to your readers or your paid subscribers before they're released anywhere else. And we have this lovely chart or lovely image. Um, I don't remember who created it for us, but it Aaron was- Coleman. Okay, she's amazing. Uh, and so, yeah, so this basically shows what early access looks like. And so day one, you might release chapter one um, and so on and so forth until you get to day 30. It doesn't have to be like this. You can release chapters however you want. This is just an example. Um, and then once you get to chapter or day 30, day 33, then you start releasing chapter one, your first chapter. Um, to a free platform. So that could be like Wattpad, Royal Road, or even your newsletter, um, and kind of drip chapters out like that, according to the image, and drive people to your subscription to receive early access for it. That's and great. Then, yeah. yeah. So now, now we'll get into the real reason why all of y'all are here, which we're going to get into. Um, I first want to mention with early access that um, monthly early access is perfectly valid. Um, we just had an author named Avon Ellis. She's fantastic. And she was on her podcast and has attributed most of the success of her subscription to an basically exclusive slash early access novel that she's offering on her subscription, one chapter a month, one chapter a month. Um, and she has a hundred people on her subscription. Um, I'll, I'll link to the podcast at, at the end of this presentation, but I just want to let y'all know that, um, there's not even like a set schedule for early access. And we've talked about early access in other chats. We're happy to answer questions about it later. But in terms of these ideas that we're now going to dive into, I want to just briefly, because uh, I did write a whole book about this um, that I'll link to also at the end of this and in the description if you're watching asynchronously, but it's called Creator Economy for Authors. And what I wanted to share with everyone is that what we're all doing here as authors, the IP that we're creating, the stories, the community that we're building is so much bigger than just monetizing our content. 
And we've already alluded to this in terms of physical goods, but we're going to get into a lot more things. And I like to look at the flywheel that Disney's built because that's so much of what the creator economy's built off of. And you might be thinking, well, what does Disney have to do with me? Because Disney has theme parks. Disney has massive distribution, television networks, merchandise and bobbleheads and goods in like every store in the country. But the, the actual opportunity here is that technology has made it cheaper, faster, and more accessible for media brands to create their own mini Disney's, to spin out their own, you know, maybe parallel products, different forms of IP, and expand into a similar business model that never before used to be possible. Never before. So everyone can basically build their own mini franchise now and make a great living doing it. And that's where a lot of this industry is kind of maybe headed to. And we're going to talk about some of those ideas because subscriptions allow you to start offering rewards in this way. And you start to think about your reader world as a reader amusement park. It opens up a lot of different ideas of just looking at, well, wow, like how can I immerse someone more into my world? How can I make my fictional world feel so real to my readers? And that's where we go into all these rewards, which we're going to first start with the digital um, rewards. And on this slide, we're talking about bonus content in specific, digital bonus content. And there's a lot of ideas here. And there's some ideas I'm going to tell that aren't even listed on the slide because I didn't want to like, you know, drop too much text on this slide. But I'm just going to run through some ideas and explain them a little bit and explain how these can apply to you. And maybe there's something cool for y'all to do. So they're kind of in no particular order because I don't want to make it seem like one is better than the other. Like it's really, again, looking at the intersection of what do your readers want? What's good for you? What's good for your lifestyle as an author? But we'll look at travel guides. So travel guides are something that I actually was just reading an article um, about a company that's basically helping creators. Um, it's a startup that's helping creators basically uh, build their own travel agencies in a few clicks and people can like book hotels through them, which is wild. And there was a creator who made $5,000 a month um, on the platform uh, and they launched like the last three months. Oh, well, why do I say this? Well, there's ways that people now, right? Your readers who love what you're doing want to be deeper involved in your world. And yes, there's new technology that's gonna make a lot of really interesting possibles with that business model. But if we just take travel guides as an example, Maybe you wrote a romance novel set in my hometown, for instance, Charleston, South Carolina. I was to be a huge tourist destination. And a lot of readers uh, who read books set in Charleston want to travel to Charleston. And very, very natural thing. What if you said, hey, readers, I had this travel guide as part of my subscription that you get to access. And if you're ever planning a vacation to Charleston, this is like all the great spots that your characters went to. That's it. Be really fun. That That's the idea of a travel guide. And you might think, well, oh, I write fantasy or, oh, I write science fiction. That's not applicable to me. But it actually can be because there's a good chance that there's real life locations that inspire the books you wrote. I literally have seen so many online forums of people trying to find locations that remind them of the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit and go there. Um, the platform for travel guides, I read way too much. Um, so I'm friends with the founders of this company called Thatch.co, um, which do travel guides. The company that was featured in that um, that article is a competitor to them that I actually can't remember. I like I, I actually read too much. Um, so Thatch.co though is a startup that does that. 
um, as well, and also has multiple successful creators in the platform. Um, so that that's just something to think about. They in something that you can do anywhere, right? I mean, you can offer a travel guide could just be in text. Um, and I'll find the article at some point after when in a few minutes, hopefully I can find it because I read it like yesterday. Anyways, alternate POVs. So this is another bonus content. Um, and something to think about with this is if your book's written with respect of one character, maybe you want it to the other. This is also something that like, isn't um, like unique to subscriptions. This is something that has been going on for a long time, even like in traditional publishing. I remember um, the Divergent series when that did really well, the publisher pumped out the book four, which four was like the fourth book in the series, but also following four, the romantic interest in the series. And we finally got to get his perspective. And you bet I bought and read that book because I was a huge Divergent fan. So there's ways that you could even take your bonus content written in alternate POVs, offer it as early access in your subscription, and then release it later as a book. Why not? <laughs> no one's stopping you. You can do all these things. So character bios, world lore, world building maps. These are more ideas. Again, I wouldn't recommend doing all of these ideas. Less is certainly more. But with this, these kinds of things, you may already have world lore and character bios that you've built um, and have created. So these could be great things to share. And kind of like continued examples in this, we'll go more about this in fan engagement, but you know, your, your readers could potentially interview your characters, right? That could be fun. Like what if your readers picked five interview questions that your characters did uh, interviewed and they got to pick a new character to interview each month. We'll get to that in the next slide, but other things. So short stories, steamy one shots, which we had a question about and, and poetry. So these are like just short form, like kind of standalone ish pieces of content. I say ish because short stories are often connected to broader worlds. Poetry is often connected to collections and steamy one shots. I know from talking to many authors spin out into broader novellas and stories and novels and series and sometimes are connected to previous series. But the takeaway here is that these are like little pieces of content and a steamy one shot. Um, I know Amelia, you do these. How do you describe a steamy one shot? I mean. Um, so a steamy one shot for me is just what, like a thousand words of smut or sex. Um, I know a lot of people do them a little differently. Uh, you can have one shots that are pretty much anything. It's just like um, two characters doing some, maybe they're, they're at a park or maybe they're on the swings and it's just like a moment between those two characters. That's very short, usually like 500 to 2000 ish words. Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Other things you could do are character art, bonus art. Um, with that, of course, not safe for work art. And then first looks at covers, which that might not feel like, oh, a big deal. But like, actually, like I can tell you, I've gotten hyped for cover reveals multiple times. And if I can get a first look at that cover, that'd be pretty awesome. Now, things with this, of course, are um, concerns around, you might not want a first look at a cover shared or copied. Um, so you want to make sure you probably put that in a platform that is protecting that content. And all I can say is on Reem, we do everything we can to make sure that your posts are behind paywalls and only accessible uh, to people who have paid for it um, to try and keep that content secure. So that would be something that I at least would be concerned about with a book cover first look is making sure that that first look is authentic. Um, other things, so cookbooks and recipe guides. 
there are, this is a whole other area that's changing. Let me tell you what we eat is going to become closer to the books we read. And I'm sharing ideas that are accessible today. Uh, the futurist to me thinks this list will be so much more expansive 10 years from now, but um, with, with cookbooks and recipe guides, literally think about yourself being able to like, I mean, let's take it back to like theme parks here. And I'm going to use Harry Potter because it's something that we all probably know about. So I'm just going to use that because it's a franchise that's familiar. But if you've been to like Harry Potter and Universal in Orlando, Florida, you will have probably noticed that they have lots of Harry Potter branded food. They even have butterbeer there. Oh, wait, that's not butterbeer. That's English. Whoa. They have a Harry Potter beer there. I'm forgetting the exact beer. This is part of live, but bear with me on that one. They have lots of Harry Potter themed food. So you have may or may not have food themed in your world. You might want to consider it if you're thinking about doing bonus content like this. So someone reads your book, um, they see that you have created these sorts of recipes, have these sorts of food items, and then you can literally share with them like, hey, this is how you, this is how you can make this that my characters ate in the book. They had in that, butterbeer is the right term. Oh, really? Huh. Okay. Cool. Um, so that that is that is what you can do. Then there's book clubs, exclusive books, um, book and movie reviews. Um, so readers love to read other books. We know that. And as authors, we're able to have book clubs. We can also share exclusive book and movie reviews that our readers would be interested in because they trust us. If they like reading our books, they probably want to know what we're reading too. And if we can share some of our insights on that and really like give someone a great reading list. That's valuable. And something too that I've seen dozens of creators who have very successful subscriptions who are only focused on book reviews. They don't write books, they just review books. So like that in and of itself is a lot more valuable than you might think. Graphic novels is another form of bonus content. Note can be expensive uh, to actually get someone to design it for you. But if you have those skills in house, it can be great. Then the, another for, form of bonus content is like an author reading aloud or like an author narrated version of a story. You might not want to do this, but if that's something that you're interested in, and sometimes I know authors will read aloud their books to in the editing process would be a really like smooth way if that's how you edit to just like record the first draft of your audio and then like share that with your readers. I'm trying to like help you save time here and maximize the value, but that might not hit with everyone, but that, that's an idea. And thing you could do is annotations um, along with your book. In Ream, you would do this by literally commenting um, on each paragraph that you have connected to your book. And then you would be able to like share some insights, maybe be, ask questions, behind the scenes info that readers might be curious in who probably have already read your book, but who want to reread it. Do not overlook the rereading behavior. People reread books all the time. And how can you make the experience of rereading more magical? Um, background research, police reports, marriage counselor reports. <laughs> you could go on here and make that stick to your genre. But those are other ideas. Digital wallpapers, lock screens are also um, some ideas as well. Um, and then for background, uh, oh, I skipped one. Special digital editions of books. Um, so this could be like rare book covers that you do. That's just like a, a book cover that you get um, having access or special digital editions of books. I know even when it comes to like 
cover editions, when I work with my cover designer, they usually give me like two or three options. And you obviously pick one that's gonna be the main book cover. But if you like the other one or two, you could tell them to touch it up a little bit. It probably won't cost that much more than you're already paying for a cover. There you go. Now you have some bonus covers. Just an idea. Just an idea. So anyways, I know we threw a, a lot at you. We have more, but I'm going to pause and let's answer some questions. So, um, okay. So is Reem working on figuring out how to stop, right-click, save an images, and conversely, have you added images that can be downloaded at certain tiers? Um, I guess that's where my line is. If they really want to screenshot them, fine. So yeah, um, we, um, we will be adding that. Um, we will be adding that shortly. Um, in terms of screenshots, um, it's very tough to stop that because someone could like even screenshot with another device on their current screen. So it's really tough to, to, to do that. Um, but we, we are able to, um, do the right-click image. And we already don't let people um, control all um, and copy text inside of books. When it comes to, um, and in the inside the Ream app too, um, that's only on the web. Inside the Ream app, you shouldn't really be able to copy the images. Um, when it comes to downloading images, uh, that's something that we might, we want to maybe think about letting authors have that option. Um, for now, since we allow links, usually like linking to a Google drive, letting them download from there can work. Um, but we, we may allow that for authors in the future. That definitely is something that we, um, would consider the one, the one problem with that is that if you want to give them like a really high quality, super like high res photo, um, that might be challenging for us to deliver across our platform. Um, and why like sometimes Google drives a more secure way. It's, it's also why too, if you send an, a message over text with an image, a lot of times that image gets uh, compressed, uh, but Google drive doesn't compress it. And Google drive is like, it's free to use up to a certain storage amount. And if you're storing images, it probably would be nowhere near that limit. Um, so yeah, those keep the questions coming. Awesome. So we'll move on to uh, fan engagement which this, so we know what I'm referring to with fan engagement is when you're basically bringing the fans explicitly deeper, like a deeper involvement in your, in your worlds, right? A deeper involvement in what you're doing. So the easiest one, we've already talked about this is voting or polls, but we more talked about this in the context of figuring out what your readers want. But what if readers got to vote on what happened next in a story? Or in fact, we have an author here. Is she still here? Yes, wait. You, oh, I don't know if I see her name. And we have an amazing thriller author we're talking about this week. Her name's Takiri. And she is adding, in her when she launches her ring, which is going to be very soon, which is very exciting, she has a benefit, one of her tiers, that she writes police, like procedurals. So there's always someone dead, right? So they get to like, someone gets to pick who they want to be dead. So, it could be a way, you know, if you had a past relationship that didn't go too well and you want to see them dead in a book, um, that can happen. Uh, so so the, 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 that's actually sounds like so cool to me, honestly. Um, so those are ways to think about it. Um, you don't have to have your readers kill people in the books. Um, you might want to do other sorts of things, but, but you can do that. Uh, I mentioned in the acknowledgments can be really awesome. Uh, how I would bucket that under is underneath uh, the ideas of status as a service. How can you make your readers feel special? And again, they'll, they'll 
subscribe for this, part of their membership is sort of that feeling of specialness. So maybe, maybe that's um, on Twitch, for instance, they allow emotes for special emotes that Twitch streamers can enable uh, when you have live subscribers to your stream. So what, what are the special things that you might enable for someone who is again, that paid special member of yours. So one of them could be an easy one for authors to mention in the acknowledgements. Um, you could do private calls with readers or Zooms. Um, so you could do like a monthly Zoom for your readers. I talk to a lot of authors and this is something that tends to go pretty well. One of those things though, that I wanna mention with this fan engagement is that these are digital. So it doesn't come with maybe some of the overhead that physical has, but a lot of times these two, you might wanna wait to start. Because for instance, a private call with readers on Zoom sounds fun, but if one person's in that tier, it might make people feel uncomfortable, both the reader and you, because that could be a, a lot of times readers are shy, authors are shy. So you can get a, a good vibe when there's people around, but that might be something you want to grow into. Um, likewise, with fan readers and voting or polls, um, it, it can be nice to have one reader pay a lot to have a sort of voting power in the story. You know, there's some sort of, there's sometimes authors I've seen have like a hundred dollar tier where they get mentioned the acknowledgements. They might get uh, influence in what the next story scene or request is. But if you have like one reader in a $5 tier and you're giving them like power to like change the future of your story and there's only one person in there, that could be a little problematic. So I recommend if you're like just starting and doing this at like a lower tier point that you, you shouldn't like let your readers have full control over your story. Add a disclaimer, like I ultimately get to say, you don't have to put that on the tier itself, but just in your mind, know that. Just, just an advice that I, I, would, I would add. Um, and then, you know, other things you could do are AI chatbots. So this is something where this is becoming easier by the day, but essentially you could have sections, Discord makes this really easy, where you could download a bot, um, feed it the text of your character, and then essentially have your readers talk to something that is programmed to talk like your characters. Um, I'll actually... Um, let's say designing a character or naming a, a value. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, ima imagine if you, I don't know if designing a character, um, I don't know if you'd want to give readers that power of designing a character. Um, but in terms of naming someone um, who is un unalived, um, I think that you you would be able to like that I, I, i'll just i'll just jump in i i think um like even if you give the option to your readers to like design what the character looks like it's the what i found at least for my readers they really enjoy being in that process with me in like the creative process they like saying, hey, I designed this character. I helped Amelia design this character. And so part of me is kind of like connected to the story even deeper. Um, and so that's what I found readers really like. I don't um, let them design characters, but they do have like some some say or some agency in how my story is goes. Um, and they really enjoy it for that reason. In terms of like how you can design it, Nicole, I mean, 
you might do a thing where it's one or two polls a month that you're offering your readers that are on specific things in your story that they're voting on, right? So maybe it's you got to the end of a chapter and they get to vote like what restaurant they go to next, um, or they they vote on what this character is going to wear, or so you, you could do unlimited things with that. Um, or you could do a thing where at, at a higher price tier, I would recommend this at, where you do have like one reader get to pick, like if you're doing a steamy one shot or a short story the next week, they might be able to inspire it and be able to say like, oh, okay, like, you know, next month when you do that steamy one shot, I would love if it was like this character and this character, right? And that request can be saying that like the reader, like get something kind of made for them, but you're also sharing it with your other readers too. So that's like, that's kind of awesome. It's something that would be really, really cool for someone to have that involvement. Um, in terms of uh, who do you limit then um, jumping around, um, you might want to clarify that for me a bit, but ultimately if someone subscribed to you for a month, you're delivering that value inside of that month. So if you are going to do one poll a month that they get to vote on as part of it, then if they unsubscribe the next month, that's okay. They don't get to be part of the next month's, uh, month's poll. Um, or if you are doing something where they get to you know, name a character in your book, then yeah, you're probably not going to have a hundred new characters every month. So you might want to limit that tier if one reader gets to choose each character uh, to a few people so that you know that you're going to have at least a secondary character that you'll be able to add into one of your stories in the future each month. Um, those are all, again, knowing your limits, knowing your process, and knowing how you want to incorporate that into this. And like we said, too, we've listed probably well over a dozen ideas now. You don't have to take any one of these. So if fan engagement is not something you want to do, you don't have to do it at all. And you definitely don't have to do fan engagement involved in your story, but it's something that a lot of readers uh, like, it's something that a lot of readers find really, really cool to be able to have a sort of sway in the story. Ultimately, being a fan is about making someone feel a part of something and making someone feel that deep sense of belonging. And it's a cool way to do that. Yeah, I agree. And it, it becomes more of like, this isn't this specific author's story. This is all of our stories because we kind of like helped her or helped him, helps the author create it. So and that's where fan fiction comes in too. And um, I, yeah. I refuse, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now because of IP and all these sorts of things. But the idea that fans like to create things in the world that they enjoy like we see that all the time with fan fiction. So being able to involve the fans in your creative process, there's a subset of your fans that already is doing that. Fan fiction is a huge, huge thing that people partake in. So um, ultimately when you're trying to build your fandom, encouraging these sorts of interactions that enhance your own IP, your own story can be very worthwhile. Okay, I'll skip to the next slide then. We're good here. Yeah. So we talked about physical goods a little bit before, so we probably won't go deep into this because we had a little bit of a conversation, um, but just some ideas for physical goods and if you decide to add them to your subscription, um, there's plenty of things you can do. Uh, you can start with swag, which is relatively easier um, and probably cheaper. So we have like bookmarks, stickers, badges, you can brand all of this swag for specific books or for your 
overall art, like overall brand, um, or like the feeling that you want your readers to get or while they're reading your, your content. You could also do more merchandise e type of stuff. So t-shirts, I would even loop mugs and notebooks in with merch too. With merchandise, you probably need, if you don't have um, graphical design experience, you'd probably need to commission someone for it. So that's just something to like think about before you dive into it. But you, you can probably make something relatively easily on Canva or Photoshop if you have Photoshop. Um, other physical goods, we have signed books and book plates. Book plates are amazing for international readers. Uh, all you have to do is like order stickers that are either like clear or your branding on them or however you want them to look. Um, write your signature on them and send them through an envelope and it's relatively low cost. Sign books are a little bit different. You have to really, before you integrate them into your subscription, you really have to think about who you're going to be sending them to, which countries you're going to be sending them to, where you're located. So if you're lo located not in the US, but all of your readers are in the US, that's probably going to be really expensive. So you have to have your tiers be relatively expensive as well to cover those shipping costs. And I'm sure everyone can think of like tons of, tons of other items that could be on these physical goods list. These are just a few. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, I feel like it's easier to brainstorm what's possible in the physical world because we have so many things like I can just rattle off things, laptop case, phone case. I mean, that's just a few things. Um, we already put stickers in, but you can think about all the different like little things people can like put on things they own to just identify it as yours. And those could be cheap to mail. Um, you Stickers can be some of the most profitable things in terms of the margins there um, because you can sell it for you know, effectively an extra $5 a month to get a new sticker a month. But you might be printing these stickers for, you know, not $5 a month and shipping them for not $5 a month. You might even want to sell them for more than that. I mean, you could really, stickers could be something nice because the printing costs are cheaper. Why that is, or sorry, the shipping and the printing costs are cheaper. But on the shipping cost point, that's because it could usually fit in a, in a letter. And I don't want to say like how much it is to mail letters everywhere because I don't know what it's like if you're mailing from different countries, but if you're in the United States, um, it's usually around like 60 to 70 cents for a stamp anywhere inside of the country and about a dollar, $40.50 internationally. And if you're watching this in the future, those prices will probably go up. They always do. But I guess the point is that it's a lot better than paying $50 or $30 or $20 to ship something, which oftentimes if you're shipping a book or a shirt, it, that's what it's going to get you for. Yes. Yeah, so obviously we shared a lot of things about different tiers and different pricing. And even when it comes to physical goods, you might want to have a guide that can help you. And if that's the case, oh, that link is not right. Oh, there's a space in the link. That's horrible. I will fix this. We have the description for author's pricing calculator. And essentially, you can use this. I'm putting the link in the chat right now. Calculator is where you'll find it. If you click in that, you can play around with this and basically design your own subscription business. Uh, make a copy of the file underneath file and make a copy. 
So if you do that, then you'll have your own copy of it that you can play around with, you can edit, you can make your own and, and really see what prices might be realistic for you. And you can even experiment with that tier ideas in the future and plan out what might be possible. Um, so that's for you to use anytime. And we figured it would be helpful, especially when planning out different tiers and rewards, which thinking about actually different tiers and rewards and trying to maybe ground this in some examples. Let's, let's get to that. So we wanted to share um, two authors who are doing awesome in subscriptions. And this is Lynn, she's on Ream and basically just showing you her top three tiers and what she's offering for them. Um, that this is her public subscription page. And for her, she's mainly doing early access with also um, access to some of her backlist. So you can see some of those backlist titles in the $3 tier. And as you get to more expensive tiers, she's offering uh, more and more early access, but then also some additional completed works as well. So she's doing more of an early access meets backlist type of model. This is one of many models, but I just wanted to show you, oh, this is actually how someone's doing this with benefits and pricing. Um, price points is a totally other subscription webinar we went into. And there's no one right way to price your tiers, but I recommend listening to that one because we really dive deep into that topic there. But we'll actually go on to our next author now and show you a completely different model that is also equally valid and awesome. Um, their name's Shelby Lee. Shelby's awesome. And these are Shelby's tiers. And I actually, I, I talked to her, she's going to be changing these price points, um, but um, I changing, I think that $10 to a $15 tier soon because of, even though she's mailing relatively like cheap things to mail, there's still an expense to that. And she found that $15 was much more sustainable for her um, after we talked through it. So that's changing in action, but you can see here what she's doing um, with her tiers and what she's offering. There's some early access. Um, there's also some uh, kind of founders sort of benefit for she launched recently and she's had a great launch. She's doing awesome. But now she's going to be offering things like the pineapple charm and the bracelet for people who've come in the first three months for her. So these are just some of the things you can do, but we only showed you two authors and I know, especially because they're both romance and also because maybe they both might not have the model you're looking for, even though they both are doing two different models, you might want to see some more authors. Which brings us to the fiction authors report. So this is a free report. I'm going to put that in the chat as well. There's 500 authors in here, sorted in alphabetical order, and all of their subscription links linked. And all of them make over pretty much $100 to $200 a month. The median, I think, is somewhere around like $1,000 to $2,000 a month they're making subscriptions. That's probably about the median. And there's obviously some people doing uh, tremendous. Um, so that's kind of the the range. Um, and all of them, I think, have done great jobs, but you'll see that they all super diverse in terms of what they offer and how they go through things. And, you know, what, one day we might do like a dedicated sort of genre analysis as one of these webinars of like, this is how romance authors do well, this is steamy romance, this is science fiction, this is fantasy, this is, this is detective, this is cozy mystery, all these things, we might do that, but in lieu of that today, because we can only cover so much in one webinar, we wanted to share this with you and let you know that, that we have a whole report for you to access and dive through where you can see other authors in action with their tiers. But there's an important thing to remember with all of this, and it's our final takeaway message for you, which 
is on the next slide, we wanted to share that the best tier rewards are at the intersection of what your fans want, what you enjoy and what is sustainable for you. And you might have to experiment to hit that dart right with the bullseye, right? And sometimes it can be a sort of moving target, but that's what you want to find. And your bullseye, your three circles are going to look different than other authors. So just remember that, run that through that filter as you look at other authors, run that through that filter as you reflect on some of the ideas we shared in this pod. Um, this is not a podcast. This is a live chat. Um, so that's uh, that's I, it for us, really. And I want to leave it open. I know we were answering some questions during it, um, which I actually enjoy doing that. I think it's it's better to have a, more of a conversation than just us talking at you. But now we're officially here for questions. So it can be about what we talked about today in terms of tier words. It can be about anything that you're thinking when it comes to subscriptions, we're here to help you. And yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's uh, the, the tier reward webinar. But not done yet. So open to anyone, any questions that people have, any way that we can help you. And don't feel free to get specific. You're here. And we're very happy to answer very specific questions. Um, even if you're comfortable sharing a personal story or personal struggle that you're thinking about, um, I'm sure it'll help other people um, to share that. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it. We'll give it some time. Um, and we really do encourage questions. Um, but I think that 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 last point is what I want everyone to really remember. Like with all the explosion of ideas and, and different things you can do. It really is about starting small, starting with something that is sustainable for you in this moment and starting with something that you think you'll enjoy. And hopefully yeah. some readers will enjoy too. I 1000% agree. I I feel like, um, at least for me personally, I always get caught up in the hype of what everyone else is doing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is successful doing it this way, or she's doing this, or he's doing that. And it's really hard to just focus on what you want to do. But that ultimately is what's going to make you happy and more successful in the long run. We got a really good question um, from an author who said, in one of the examples you shared, the author was gifting books from her backlist. How this best be limited? Because say it's free access for $2 a month. It's a lot of royalties lost elsewhere. Um. I, I'll give my response. I also want Amelia to give her response. My quick response to that is that one, you do not have to do this model. We're not saying that model is the best model. Uh, the best selling author in subscriptions um, at the moment is Sherdaloon and he does not have any sort of like backlist available really. He has some backlist available, some, some recently uploaded chapters, but his books are in Kindle Limited. He's not able to have them anywhere else. And you do not have to be a wide author to be a subscription author. You can be an exclusive to KU or exclusive to elsewhere and still have a subscription and do very well in it. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when it comes to the business model of subscriptions in and of itself, how these authors who do it right are typically making their money are getting people in kind of cheaply to read and binge their backlist and become super fans and then want to pay even more monthly to actually access their, their front list of content and early access to new chapters. Um, so that's, um, that's like a, a profitable model when you think about the lifetime value of your customer, because subscriptions are not about selling. They're not about transactions. They're about the forever transaction, about membership, 
about getting someone to keep coming back monthly. And if you're able to get someone to continuously pay you three, five, seven, ten dollars a month, that can be very profitable. And the kind of beginning sort of backlist that you offer can be a way to hook people into that. Now, that is not what I recommend to all or even most authors, because I think every author has a different model. But I know, Amelia, you actually do use that model. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I do that model um, currently. And I particularly like that model just because I can have, like my my subscription, I have it not so I can make a lot of, like not so I can like get all the sales on all the books. I have it so my super fans can come in and read any book of mine that they want and enjoy it and become even bigger super fans of me because I'm like providing that content. It's not free for them, but it's, it would be heavily reduced as compared to if they were buying all individual books. Um, and so a lot of my readers do enjoy coming into my subscription and reading uh, all of my, all of my backlist. Um, but yeah, I, I do it mostly, mostly for people to just have a good time while they're in my subscription and be able to reread books because like we were talking about earlier, um, a lot of people reread their favorite books. And I know from like Wattpad, uh, Wattpad has, or readers on Wattpad do this thing where the first chapter of the book, like the first sentence, they'll say, oh, this is my, my second reread. This is my first reread. This is the first time I'm reading it. And, and so it's like, you can really see that I, I would say about like at least half of my readers have read, read, reread at least one of my books, probably more. So that's why I have, that's why I do that model. Okay. Um, this question is for Amelia. I wonder how many early access chapters do you find are the most effective to have before you release on Wattpad? Um, so honestly, it, de it definitely depends. I know it takes about 10 chapters on Wattpad before people start converting over to my subscription. Um, they have to be really hooked in my story. And, and 10 chapters for me is about 10,000 word, 10, words. And so about 10-ish percent of my book needs to be free before people start converting. Um, so I, I don't know how that would relate to, I haven't done like what you're asking. I haven't done like an analysis on how many chapters I have on my subscription versus versus not. Um, but I would recommend starting your subscription or starting promoting your subscription as you're writing the book still, rather than the book is complete. I found that um, really helps conversion, even though it, it seems the opposite would be true. At least that's for me. Um, Terry, I, my, my take on this is if you're not enjoying building a reader community, then don't build it. I, I, I know that sounds like so straightforward, but you don't need to have the traditional form of a community to be successful in subscriptions or be successful as an author. Um, so that's, um, my, my advice there. Like you just keep doing the things you like about it and your readers are going to naturally connect to your work and build a community around that. Like your readers are going to want to, some of your readers are going to want to communicate. Um, 
so yeah, that would be my answer there. And Ansela, I will help you in a moment because let me look at the country list that we'll be integrating with. We're opening up in 80 more countries very shortly. Um, and that will be very helpful potentially to you. So let me check and make sure um, that we will be open in the Philippines because I'm pretty sure we will be. Um, when I say we will, I mean probably in like 30 days or so. Um, let's see. So I'm checking the list. Yeah, we'll be open in the Philippines. Um, so you we will be able to pay out there. Um, yes, and exactly. We pay direct to your bank account. You're not paid to Stripe. You don't, you, on, on Ream, it's not like you get paid to your Stripe and spend money through Stripe. No. And this, this really, most platforms in the back end use either Stripe or Checkout. There's like three big companies that process everything. Like Amazon, Kindle Store uses Stripe. So this is the same infrastructure. But what happens is, and especially because we're a small startup, it's not completely white labeled. So you'll see Stripe and we tell you that's who is paying you out. That's who we work with. But um, right now, um, well, Ream right now um, is you have to set up a payout account, right? To be able to get paid. We won't let you set up a, an account on Ream uh, that accepts payment if we can't pay you out. That would be really bad. We would just be taking your money and have no way to give it to you. So we do not want to do that because that would be that would really not be fun for for anyone. Um, so we make it so that you have to set up a way for us to pay you out so that we can do so. Um, now, right now, um, we're open in 47 countries and we're going to be open in 133 in the next 30 days. So the odds are right now, and I will check this, we're going to be open in the Philippines in the next 30 days. And I'll let you know if we're open in the Philippines now. Um, you might want to stall as I look it up. I have to yeah, check. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I was just going to say, um, your question is why it's remaking me set up Stripe. So basically you have to set up, so Stripe takes the payment from the reader and it does that because like Stripe, we integrated with Stripe and that's the way your tiers are set up on the back end, basically. And so when readers come in and pay you um, or when they choose a tier, then that gets processed through Stripe and that's why you have to like to set Stripe up for the reader purposes, like taking the reader's money and giving it to the author, if that makes sense. I hope for, I explained that correctly. For, for I believe I did. Yeah, for <laughs> regulatory reasons, we are not able to hold credit card data on our platform. And neither can yeah. Amazon, neither can Airbnb, you name the company, they can't hold host those payments. Uh, you have to um, file for a bank charter um, and all these very complicated things. Um, and let's just say that we want to focus on doing our authors uh, really, really well. And there's other people who do payments really well. Um, I think the reason why uh, you're experiencing the issue with Stripe at the moment is because we're Stripe at in our current integration. I don't want to get super into the weeds, but because we're not public yet, Ream launches on May 7th, we first went live in 47 countries. And we're going to be going live in 130 countries in the next 30 days. We're working on that right now. So right now, you're probably having trouble with Stripe because uh, because of regulatory issues, we're not able to pay you out yet, but we will be able to pay you out because we're completing that process in the next 80 days. 
And then that'll be, you'll be able to set it up. It's free to set it up. It takes two minutes. And really you setting it up is entering in your bank account information and your tax information so that we can make sure that, you know, that's all good. <laughs> it would be, it would be bad if we didn't do the taxes and the paying out right. So we're pretty committed to that. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, feel free to ask any questions. Where are you on becoming a distributor as an option versus only having authors set up direct and need to deal with tax directly? Um, that's coming next, Gloria. That's coming in the next probably 30 days too. That's part of us opening up elsewhere. Yeah. So the reason why we started with the direct integration was because we wanted to have our authors have the option, which you basically have nowhere else to actually own the full payment relationship with your readers. And that's why it looks like you're setting up, a, you're technically setting up a Stripe account that you own on Ream at the moment when you're on Ream. And why we do that is because we want you to have that, the ability to have that relationship. Because on other platforms, if you have a subscription relationship with them, there's no way to migrate your readers from them. You're stuck there. You're trapped. And we've dealt with that ourselves and how challenging that is um, as, as authors. And we didn't want to force authors into that. Now, there's some downsides to that. And I don't want to like, in simple terms, because it gets really complicated even for me to wrap my mind around. When you as an author have a direct relationship with your consumer, you are the one responsible for things like sales taxes. So there's an upside and a downside. And we realized that. And we wanted to start by giving authors full control. But our next move was to say, how can we give our authors still a lot of control, but also the convenience and flexibility of us handling the taxes, which means that we own that direct relationship with the customer. Um, and that's how it works in every other platform. So on Ream, you will have both options and both options will be going live very, very shortly. So the benefit of the other option as well is that because of the different regulatory um, environment with that option, we're able to pay out to an additional 85 countries, which includes where you live, Ancella. And that'll mean that we can pay out to the Philippines, we can pay out to Nigeria, we can pay out to Israel. There's lots and lots of places. We can cover about 60 to 70% of the globe. Um, now, there's still some places we can't pay out to, about 60 countries that we won't be able to pay out to. Um, I don't want to make any promises on our timeline there, but we will be able to pay out eventually. Note that it is on our roadmap, but it will take us some time to get to. But we did really speed this one up. Um, you live in the tax-free state of New Hampshire. I don't uh, think I need to worry about taxes. You, um, you don't, well, you need to worry about income tax, to be clear. Definitely. Um, and, and, you know, I always recommend we, we, we automate those forms for you, but I always recommend people consult if they have specific questions. There's no, but you have, um, federal income tax though with the U S government. Um, if you're in New Hampshire, yes, exactly. So you won't, you, and those will be on your end. We don't withhold those taxes. It's a 1099 K or a W eight B. And if you're out of the United States, so that's how that works. Um, in terms of like the taxes, um, and that's just automated. It, we use the same people on the back end again that Amazon uses for taxes. So you're you're probably very familiar with the forms that you get there or in other retailers. Same thing with us. Same process. Now, when it comes to things like state uh, state uh, sales tax or VAT and things like that, um, on Ream, if you have a Ream managed account that is managed by Ream that we're coming out with the next thirty days, then you don't need to blink or worry about that at all like at all. It's, you're not liable for it. It doesn't come out of your income. There's nothing to even think about for a second. When it comes to the standard option where it's direct selling, as if you kind of owned your own website, 
which we allow you to do on Ream. You could run up Ream like your own website, or you can run up Ream like it's your own platform. It's uh, however you want to do it. But if you set up the direct selling option, uh, although tax collection is automated and it doesn't come out of your income because readers pay that in addition when they check out, that is automated. The actual filing and remittance of it is not. And the actual collection of itself uh, does depend. Um, and all I will say on that front is that there's a lot of rules around nexus um, in specific states that do uh, have to deal with uh, how many transactions you have in that state. So in New Hampshire, you have physical nexus in New Hampshire, Anna. So you won't have to pay any taxes in New Hampshire um, for any sales that you make in New Hampshire. But if you make sales to readers in California, you might hit nexus there. Now, nexus in California means that you have to make $100,000 in a single year from people in California. Um, that's very possible that you do that. Um, there's no subscription author on earth who has reached that scale. Um, you know, there's authors who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in subscriptions, but not above that amount in a specific state. So my short answer to you is you probably wouldn't be liable for taxes in too many jurisdictions, but as that happens, the process is automated and reminds you of it. And then we'll tell you when to file. So for authors who are standard, it probably will be just fine, but the headache is a lot to think about. And we want to be able to take full control of that um, from you if that's something you desire. But I guess the short answer, Anna, and I'm not a CPA at all. I'm not a CPA. Uh, but um, given that this is not tax advice, but just maybe some insights, some musings, um, you probably shouldn't have to worry too much about it in New Hampshire um, because you have physical nexus there and there's no sales tax in New Hampshire. Yeah, you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine for sure. And it's definitely great. We recommend consulting a CPA. We understand that not everyone can afford that. Um, I personally would have trouble doing that as an author. So we are very much in part of that. And yes, there are some transactions that have 200 transactions. Um, uh, that That is true. George is one of those states that has 200 transactions. Um, so there there is a potential that authors um, do hit that limit um, in some states, but uh, it it's it's a whole evolving field. Um, and it's something that really these laws have come into place in the last like three or four years. Um, and marketplace facilitator laws are even evolving. Um, and a lot of it, you know, we were hopeful that we would be able to um, have one option that makes it as simple as possible for authors. But um, un unfortunately, um, just with the way that regulations work, we have to have two options that have these sorts of trade-offs. That's how that's how we have it right now. Um, but you're definitely right about that, Gloria. And and yes, Carl, I would definitely recommend finding someone who understands 1099 work. It's difficult. It's hard. Um, taxes are a tricky, comp complicated situation for creative people on the internet. And I I hope that we can help make it easier. Um, but yeah. Um, no, of course. Yeah. They have to like be in one area. Like you want to get someone who's uh specialized. It's, it's so complicated, especially in the States. If you're in the States, the tax code here is really, really complicated. Um, but that's, that's, I think this, this webinar, unless any people have more questions, we're very happy to be open about, um, you know, as open as we can be about, um, stuff when it comes to, the financial end of things um, when it comes to how that works, because I think it's important that authors know about it. And, you know, we are looking out to try and make all this as easy and seamless as possible. So 
Yeah. No, thank you, Nicole. You asked a wonderful question. And everyone here, I hope you had a great time. There'll be a recording that's sent out shortly. So if you want to review it, you'll be more than welcome to. Oh, th thank you all. No, we're so grateful that y'all came. Have an amazing day. And if you're listening at home, any of the links that you enjoyed in this chat that you want to check out, find it in the description. I hope everyone has an amazing rest of the day. And don't forget, storytellers rule the world. Bye, everyone. Oh, Shelby was here. Yay. That's awesome. Okay, bye.